Coming to you from the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains, Denver, Colorado, it's the Savage Cast, a Savage Worlds podcast brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Savages. Here are your hosts, Chris Savage Mummy Fox and Christopher Savage Bull Landauer. Awesome. Howdy, all you wild cards out there. We are at episode 42 of yeah, the Savage Cast. Welcome to 42. Cast. The answer to the universe and life. And universe, yes, and everything. That's so, right. Yes. Apparently, we've, everyone was wrong. It, 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 was, it wasn't uh, all the previous guesses. It was Big Apple Sewer Samurai mm-hmm. uh, That's is right. the answer to life, universe, and everything. So uh, we are joined today by Alb, uh, who is a Savage Worlds Adventure Guild publisher. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, his company's Big Apple Sewer Samurai, which just released on DriveThruRPG, which is pretty exciting. But before we get to that awesomeness, uh, Fox and I are going to run down the last happenings in like the last two weeks of the Savage News. So um, lots of cool stuff. So most recently, uh, in a long string of really cool audiobooks, if you haven't gotten on this train yet, they're pretty cool. Sound Booth Theater, uh, they are an audio book publishing company that has been um, working their way through a bunch of Savage Worlds properties. And a lot of stuff for Necessary Evil, which is pretty cool. They're uh, relatively inexpensive, like $2. Yeah, um, $2 a piece. And, and they just, they're, they're pumping those out. Yeah, they're really high quality. We, we've had um, uh, the cast and the, the producers from them on. So if you check our YouTube, the Pinnacle YouTube um, for Peg Inc., uh, you can meet the Sound Booth Theater crew and kind of see what they look like. Um, they're fun people. And I think we're going to try to get them on some uh, uh, some actual plays. We'll see. Uh, Ooh, that'd be fun. Awesome. That'd be but, great. Right? The current one out is another Necessary Evil book, Malcontents. And uh, that one's available now for two bucks. So if you want something to entertain you on your drive home or now that we're all like getting back to real life, right? Like leaving the house, <laughs> getting getting vitamin D from the sun again. Right. Um, that's, that's the thing is like, I, you know, considering how, how not a lot I've been driving this last year, I haven't kept up on a lot of my podcasts. So I, I have to like, I have to bid <laughs> sound like crows and all that well, kind I say, of stuff. Say, thank goodness I have a job where that's what I listen to all day. <laughs> as I listen to podcasts. So uh, other news uh, from the last two weeks is, again, on the VTT front. Uh, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. So Blood Drive uh, is on Steam and Fantasy Grounds. Uh, so if you're going to play Blood Drive, uh, they put some more pawns and tokens on to roll 20 for Deadlands. You got that. You've got uh, the Deadlands Companion added for Foundry. Yeah, so that's, so, a, that's a nice big beefy package. Then. There's like a ton of customization, a lot of modules that are like already scripted out macros. So the right. Deadlands Weird West one, but it's even better now because the companion has been, been smushed into that big beefy um, companion. Oh, and then Blood Drive also got the do-it-yourself VTTS. That's for, yeah. for all you folks who want to do it yourself. Yeah, you, so you could do that. Uh, so that, you know, those are the, those are the big uh, VTT. Well, then if you want to learn stuff, so like the Fantasy Grounds has been doing this really cool thing called Fantasy Grounds College. So if you aren't, um, if you haven't jumped on the VTT bandwagon yet, um, you can learn. So they're like free um, 
classes that are online. You can sign up uh, through Fantasy Grounds College to uh, learn how to use Savage Worlds on the Fantasy Grounds platform. And then they've also do stuff like that. I think they're also doing actual plays. So you can like watch their actual plays. And then um, just this last week, Jody and Amy from Peg were both on the Fantasy Grounds College Symposium. And uh, if you listened carefully to that, Jody dropped what the next uh, crowdfunder is going to be for Savage Worlds. So I won't say it. Oh, I missed it. Right? So that, yeah, it's, it got, that's it got, evil. It is evil, but you got to go check it out. So you check out the Fantasy Grounds College Symposium um, on the PEG News on pegging.com. You can get the link. And if you listen to that, somewhere in that that symposium, it was a really, it was a really good chat. I mean, I, I wish they had their faces so you could see Jody and Amy and the, the folks from Fantasy Grounds. Um, but they, they were kind of demoing how Fantasy Grounds works in the background, which is cool. Um, but so, they, uh, yeah. Right now, I, want to, I want to know, have you uh, had a chance to listen to Dungeons of Discordia? Uh, yeah, I actually watched it. So the, that's, uh, that's- uh, Cheyenne Wright, a uh, great artist, award-winning artist for Pinnacle. Uh, he's doing a uh, game using the Pathfinder rules. Uh, and he's got a Twitch channel, Dice Tyrants. Uh, have not had a chance to watch it yet, but... Uh, um, oh, it's a really cool cast. So, like, the, the, the cast is all new to me, and um, they're really charismatic. They're really good players. And, of course, Cheyenne is an excellent GM. So that one's actually really cool. So that's Dungeons of Discordia. And so, yeah, I, so I, th- I think he's using the Savage Pathfinder rules, but I don't know if his own setting is in Galarian or not. Um, okay. So he may be, may be doing his own setting. And then uh, anybody interested in uh, Deadlands uh, Horror at Headstone Hill that came with the big box, uh, there's an actual play out there, uh, Todd Moon Bounce, uh, yeah. on his uh, YouTube channel. So if you're uh, interested in checking that out, uh, obviously, spoilers. Yeah, there's a ton. Right? There's a ton spoilers, of new action plays. on that one, but... And then he does new. Oh, I just saw this. He does new episodes uh, on Thursday nights on Twitch. Yes. So yeah, they're, they're pretty cool. I've seen a couple episodes of that. They're uh, they're good. There's a lot of goodness. There's a lot of good Savage Worlds yeah. actual plays. So like the um, if anybody out there is interested in doing a Savage Worlds actual play, there is a Savage Worlds category now on Twitch. Woo-hoo. So like you can upload to it and we'll build that out. So um, consider using the Savage Worlds actual. Because I think some of the some of the games I saw that were they were actually um, Savage Worlds games were still getting run under either like role playing general or like D and D. That's like that Savage Worlds. Put it put it in the oh, Savage Worlds that, category. No 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 no. Get those on get those in the right category. Yes. Oh, also from Fantasy Grounds, um, Eric Lamoureux is going to be on Fantasy Ground Friday this Friday. Uh, he's a guy who did Wise Guys, really cool dude. We met on the Savage Cruise last year. Excellent and, thing, right? I mean, like you know, and that, so yeah, he was on. He did, he did an interview recently, and then Friday. So that was um, check that out. Good stuff there from Eric. And then um, let's see anything else. The oh, uh, virtual table talk. So uh, that's a new show that Peg's putting out. Um, we've got basically Amy from the who's the project manager developer for like all of the VTT stuff that's going on that has to be done in-house from PEG. And then it'll be her and then other various guests from the VTT sphere, um, just either talking about new releases, talking about the process. Um, it's kind of, you know, the, the new Wild West on on VTT. Uh, and there's just been such rapid growth and expansion to Pinnacle so for supporting that. And like some companies, 
you know, Pinnacle does the work and then, you know, ports over to their system. Other companies right. do all of it themselves. And so that's kind of, you know, and then there's different pricing schemes. And so there's a whole lot in the VTT sphere. And so hopefully if you have questions on how that works and what's upcoming and all the good, you know, interesting behind the scenes stuff, there's like a whole slew of people who are, are working on VTT stuff in-house and then also at the various companies. So that's the, you know, check out, it'll be on the Peg Twitch, which is called Virtual Table Talk. And um, before actually, we get actually going to be really cool, right? I mean, there's a lot of cool. That's a lot of neat stuff. Like I, I think the you know, we were talking in pre-show with Alb about like you know some of us are very old school. Like I'll roll dice on my desk and just you trust me, right? Um, me, me, me. I, I, yeah. The uh, but I mean, I, well, I, you know, the, no, no, Landar, Let's not let's 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 not say we're old. We're minimalistic. Yep. Yes, yes, minimalists. We minimalist mean. we don't need like all those fancy things to play it's fun but it's right. still fancy things yes yeah anybody who's seen my garage will know i'm not a minimalist um <laughs> but other than that the one well, and also i think one of the cool things is there's just the ability to expand out um right you know like a lot of these platforms offer tools like you can just use the dice rolling or you can use it for you know, the maps or whatever. And so the, uh, the more I think people get comfortable with it and, and like, you know, uh, ski up or ski down or climb up those learning curves, whatever, whatever, no one ever says which direction is learning. Whatever curves analogy go. you want to use. Right? There's nothing wrong with being a minimalist, but there's nothing wrong, like enjoying the good stuff as well. So exactly. there's, there's no, there's no good or bad way for playing. Completely that agree. is true. I agree with that. Yes, there is. I, I, yeah, especially these days where everybody is like wrong, bad, fun. Uh, guys, it's if it's fun, let's you know calm down. Yeah. yeah. But the uh, yeah for 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 playing online and even for like playing in public, I think you know there there are some cool tools that you can use. Like um, I think in some instances it's easier to use the VTTs to navigate the material than it is even a PDF. Even like the well linked PDFs are some really right. cool. Um, I've I've seen some game masters really put them to to use with like the the internal links. I'm not really they're not technically hyperlinks, but they're they're basically you know same concept of of you know internally linked documents. Um, you know works really well on some of the VTT platforms. So that's some coolness. And then before we get to our our special awesome guest, um, the Savage Worlds Effluvium is a a new Ace product from Kindred Spirit Productions, and. Um, I think I'm pronouncing this right. I listened to their video. It was a pretty I, interesting video. They, I, told you have, Chris, I, told, I told Chris he got to take this one. Right? <laughs> it's it, it's got a diphthong in it. And, you know, like, yay, diphthong pronunciation in English, whatever. But I think it's Rayland. And uh, basically, it's Rayland. Is, it's, got, it's kind of entering into, like, a dying phase. And it uh, the setting, it's like, it looks to be, it looks to be high fantasy. There are anthropomorphic races, which kind of ties in today's topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and their their drive through RPG link is not just for like the PDF of the book, but they've also thrown in uh, maps, um, tokens, and there's like a, even a soundtrack with it too. So kind of well, like you, high production you, value. You can buy the PDF on drive through but there's also a special box you can buy at some other website. Yeah, it's I'm actually sure. GameCrafter, which is actually very a very cool site. Um, so yeah, they, they're doing the box set. Uh, so, uh, I believe it is the gamecrafter.com. Yeah. So the games, so, so those of you aren't in the know, like a lot of people who do either small run, small batch board games or are, or people who are like, um, doing demo copies before they go to Kickstarter for board games, um, use a site like game crafter because you can have, 
um, like Fox and uh, Fox's friend and my friend um, Brett, who we did Buccaneer with, uh, he's over the like over COVID in the year before. He was um, doing a board game um, that was really kind of cool. I don't know if I can spoil what the name of it is, but the um, he he was like setting up a board game, and I helped him create some art for it, and we had it printed up with Game Crafter, um, just so he has like an actual copy of his board game, so he can very, very cool continue developing it. So yeah, they're pretty cool, and I do. I think the is it the game crafter people or also the people who bought tabletop events? No, that's board. That the, I was board game geek. Yeah. Other board game company. Okay, cool. So yes. The um or no, Game Crafter was the other company of the previous owners of tabletop events. I think that's right. Anyways, there's lots of like, you know, what do you call it? Like incestuous weave weaving in the industry, uh gaming exhibits. <laughs> but I think that's right. I think I think Game Crafter was the same dude who used to own tabletop events. Anyways, um, so yeah, that's like that's the rundown of the news, guys. A lot, of, a lot of cool VTT stuff going on. Um, I do think that will persist after COVID, after even we're getting back to the table. Like we were just talking before, how like we are all either vaccinated or in the process of getting vaccinated. So yay, yay, going back to real life. Um, <laughs> yeah. So everything, you know. everything we just talked about. If you go to uh, peginc.com and just go to their news. Uh, portion of the website you'll find everything we just talked about so yeah with that i'm gonna play a nice little interlude and then we'll get to our uh, big discussion uh with the uh, creator of big apple samurai big apple sewer samurai So yeah, that's all. Like, ooh, like we, we have we have interlude music, people. We that's are right. special. So we want to welcome Alp to the show. Happy to be here. So so tell us, sir, how did you get into gaming? What's your gaming history? When was your first time? All that good stuff. At six years old, in my parents' basement with my brother playing Star Wars West End game D6 system. That's what that was my introduction to role playing games like. 30 years ago it was uh very very i still have the book and it's not in pristine condition but i still have that book <laughs> I that's, played, well, that, that's the well way loved, it needs right? to be played right yeah well loved yeah like i i used to be a book purist where like don't write in books don't mark up books books need to mean and then then like i'm like for for utility stuff like gaming like buy the deluxe edition for the for the keeping and buy the regular <laughs> edition to just you know, use it like mark it so, up right mark it up use it make sure it's you know it's well loved well worn and um so so here's a question about the old west end game yep the um my opinion on star wars and i think of, of all the systems i played it in i mean the west end d6 is kind of the one that i think most people put a, a lot of their time in still the to, best in my opinion yeah so I'm, I'm with you on that so that was the question then the second question is uh, parties. I think it only works if everybody's a Jedi or nobody's a Jedi. Uh, well, the West End, I think the new version with from FFG is much better at handling non-Jedis with Jedis, but everything else, like, yes, it's, it's better to everybody plays a Jedi or nobody plays a Jedi. Unless, I, I remember it was, um, what was his name? Like, him. I watched his videos so much I don't remember. He made a video about, about 
one of his game in Star Wars. Where everybody was supposed to play a Jedi, but he decided to play uh, a non-Jedi and used his munchkin power to just be the most powerful player around the table. <laughs> that was such so funny. He uses he used uh, every single piece of gear that couldn't be deflected or force pushed or anything, and he was the most powerful player uh, character. And it was very fun. But yeah, usually, unless you have that kind of player, you, you better have all Jedis or... Mm, Take that, no Jedi. Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> this like this. <laughs> so how'd you, how'd you uh, come to uh, Savage Worlds? Uh, actually, it was one of... We ha- I have one of my friends who is, who is not a minimalist, who's like the guy who has... Uh, insane battle maps in 3d and he made us play a game what he was our deadlands game master and oh, okay. he was happy to show us the new game that was a necessary evil so we all created uh super villains i ha- i was dr too many which was a <laughs> shape a copycat shape-shifting uh duplicate master like you had the the other players were happy killing my duplicates and keeping a tally of how much of my duplicates they killed but it was a very fun game and i i realized that i very 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 much like the system and i i bought rippers for myself too and i made a long campaign uh, in rippers and from that, I decided to, I have like a collection of books from, uh, for Savage World and I decided to write for Savage World because it was the, the easiest way of channeling my creativity. And I had the, 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 the swag guidelines are actually the most creator friendly of the of everything so it was a between like writing for D, where i basically lost the ownership of everything i wrote and right and uh, swag where i actually had i kept everything i everything was still my own after that it was an easy show that i'm not making that for it's it's my side of hustle like writing for a savage world is a side hustle for me so right i love i love hearing that and you know if people out there want to write their own their own material i mean swag is the way to go i mean mm-hmm. pinnacle pinnacle makes it user friendly we'll say you know they it's easy to do yep. uh real quick before we get into uh big apple uh i want to just say uh uh Cy, uh don't even bring up anything about necessary evil. <laughs> we know Sai, he's one of our friends from Colorado. I I, I, I still have uh, necessary evil trauma, and he know he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> like the, the curiosity is killing me. You know that. Oh yeah. Uh, we'll just say that I've I've never almost uh, raged quit before, and I did in a in a uh, necessary evil game. <laughs> or my character sheet into little pieces and I almost rage quit. Uh, I can understand that. It yeah. Actually, I had the, the worst experiences I had as a player were in Marvel Saga. So I understand oh, okay. that the, the one where you play cards, I don't know if you know the that, that yeah. system. 
Yeah, I used to actually play Dragonlance Saga. Yeah, Dragonlance Saga, same same system, different setting. And I, what I disliked the most was you created your character at random, and that was like a big turnoff for me. But right. I understand. I under yeah, everything was random, very very weird. Um, but I understand how you can have a love and hate relationship with a with a system or a setting. Well, like I want to play that, but I had such a bad experience with it. And it's not necessarily the game master. It's not necessarily the player. Uh, sometimes it's just a mix of everything. And like you can enjoy this the game with the same group, but with a different system. Like, yeah. That happens. Actually, what he just said, uh, he still has the character sheet. One of the guys in the game, after I left uh, that game session, took all the pieces, took it home, taped it together, and laminated it and brought it back to me next game session. <laughs> like, oh, you guys are jerks. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's hard to rile Fox up, but apparently there is a way to get under his skin. That's pretty fun. The um, I, I love the concept of necessary evil. Me too. Um, me too. I, I, don't get me wrong. I don't dislike it. It was just that, that a, 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 everything came together just – to a boiling point, you know. Mm. So I still, I still like it. I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of running superheroes. I think it's, in my opinion, it can be kind of difficult. But uh, you know, do yeah, it, I, I you can do it the right way. You can. I think supers is hard because the the the, the medium is really there's so many conceits that comic authors make that you can only make if you're writing the story versus playing it. <laughs> right. And situations that have to happen. And the can, you know, where when you have players playing it, you kind of reveal how ridiculous some of the right. superhero concepts are. Well, and I, I, I think just saying that, 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 you know, brings us to the next uh, logical question. So uh, Al, tell us a little bit about, you know, big apple sewer samurai. What, what's it all about? I, I'm a child of the 80s, so I grew up watching Gargles, watching Cyber oh, Six, watching uh, Kid Video, watching uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and everything. So that's like a very personal universe for me. I I I have like a thousand ideas for settings. I could, if I was, if I had all the time in the world, I could like write everything but i wanted to focus my creativity in some something i knew very well and something i knew people would like so of course 80s 90s cartoons were a logical choice i know someone tried to do a kickstarter that looked like big apple sewer samurai a few years ago and it didn't make the the cut but apart from that i don't think there's any 80s or 90s cartoon-like RPG out there. Uh, X-Men, yeah, yeah Spider-Man. Yeah. The, the Tick is a little bit uh, after my time, I think. Uh, and Transformers, G.I. Joe, Thundercats are a little bit earlier. Oh, so I'm like, really, really, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Gargles, and Cyber 6 are like my trinity of shows i watched so much when i was younger so I'm the, like, and this, i used to watch james bond jr that was on like before <laughs> gargoyles it was not nearly as cool but it was like the lead-up show i think so the uh, no one ever remembers that one but i'm like yeah james bond jr 
<laughs> I think he was like the nephew of James Bond, if I remember correctly. Yeah, something like that. Something like that, yeah. So these are the three main influences of... Um, uh, I, I didn't like... And I wasn't a big fan of anime at that time, so uh, all those Japanese shows, apart from... Uh, Astro, which was slightly more like my style, I didn't watch a lot of anime, so it's like more Western animations that influenced me. And um, that's basically it. I wanted to write something and everything like was created uh, organically from that idea. How can I make a setting about the cartoons of that era? What, what are the tropes that were prevalent what kind what and i started with the idea of a company that went bankrupt and like everything that that company made became like uh, dumped in the sewers in the underground and those those remnants of the corporation either the the evil uh, ceos or the um, the ex experiments like clashing over the who gets to have the spoils of that company but so that's basically the idea of the setting it yeah, wasn't I, lo I loved the background the background i thought i i thought the background was really intriguing and very interesting and what i wanted to do was not creating a a, a hard all-encompassing setting because i wanted people to be able to use that framework framework to build their own game with their own favorite show you can use uh my big apple sewer samurai to make a gargoyles game like you use just use the elements that are fitting like there's a villain which is the oracle uh, he comes from the future and has the knowledge of the future and he's like he's He's basically a normal human, but he's, uh, he knows which pitfalls to not fall into. And he's basically David Xanatos. So you can use him <laughs> okay. as David Xanatos and just use the races that fit, like uh, aliens, robots, gargles. There's a gargle race, so that helps. And they can just forget all about the setting. So that was important for me. The setting was not the most important part of the book. It's, it's there, it's fun. You can play in any way you choose. There's no definitive answer for anything. So that that villain doesn't have a clear end game. You can decide what his end game is and how do you want to play it. But you can also play um, uh, a Thundar the Barbarian using uh, Big Apple Super Samurai. It's, it's really very easy. You can just have fun with it. And that's what was important for me when I wrote it. Yeah, I really like that. I like the fact that it's a toolbox with a setting attached. Mm -hmm. I, I, I kind of I really like that. I, I found that very cool. Yeah, the toolbox approach is actually pretty solid. I and mean, that's what we're doing with SWAT. Same thing. We're looking for a toolbox with settings. So, you know, it's, it's, it's useful for more people than just, you know, running the, the campaigns you put together. But tell me about the cover. Like, the cover is the first thing you see. I love your cover. <laughs> yeah, for people at home, give us a description of what's going on on the cover. Did you did you have um, this? Uh, uh, I, actually, I when I was more serious about making a game, I knew that I had to have a good cover. Uh, people judge books by their covers. 
I judge book by their covers. If you have a cover that's interesting, that will draw my attention. And I discovered a Reddit, a subreddit called Hungry Artists, which is basically just artists available for commissions. A, I'm available for commissions here in my portfolio. And I uh, met a guy like, uh, called Brendo Saldana. I'll just link uh, his art station. That's one sec. And he was very, very, uh, very, very interesting. He had a very good, uh, very talented guy. And uh, I just, I gave him a few rough outlines. Like I want a trio of reptiles, like sending, sending you the, his uh, art station. I want a trio of reptiles. I want them to have uh, two-handed weapons. I gave him a few examples of two-handed weapons with few... Um... Sorry, got interrupted. One sec. Oh, no, okay, sorry. Uh, I, like, my wife just came back, just came by to grab something. Um, so, uh, and we worked, we worked it out together. He, I said, I want them to have like a mix of modern and uh, ancient China, Japan uh, aesthetic. And that was the result. And I'm very, very satisfied with it. That's a very, very cool cover. And I, I, uh, I used his ideas as inspiration to create the pregens because each of the three reptiles are in the book as pregens as well. And they are known as the reptile Ruanan. So that's my, and that's about it. That I haven't have a lot of work to do. The, the, Brendo is really the mastermind of this piece, and he deserves all the praises you can give him. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, one, it's great putting artists to work, but you know, two, I, I do like that you've pulled this synergy out between you know the artist's conception and then working that into your game design. That's that's a pretty uh, that's pretty exciting, and that's pretty fresh, right? I mean, that's um, you know, one of the one of the issues with any kind of swag or even ace is you know all, all the way up. Is that you know art is very expensive, right? And like yep. you know, you can you you can go overboard and spend twice as much as your book will ever make or ever we hope funding. Twice? On, that's uh, that's yeah. or more, right? More uh, I, I, exactly. <laughs> and the you know, and I, I think I've, I've said this a million times, and I think I'll just keep repeating it. But the I think the the general conception in the industry is that you know uh, people who buy RPG books get a price fixed in their head on what an RPG book should cost. Mm -hmm. And you look at what books looked like 10 years ago and 15 years ago and 20 years ago and 25 years ago, and then realize that, you know, we've gone from a few black and white pieces of art to high quality paper that has to be, you know, high definition paper that's slick and magazine-y. And then, you know, pieces of art that are all, you know, not, not just like even just colored, but like full color, full rendered, you know, painting, whether it's digital or not, you know, quality, and then multiple pieces per page. And, and, and the, the layout and design has gotten more graphic and, and, and you know, art and, and, and cost intensive. 
And uh, I mean, just, just look at just look at the layouts for a lot of the books and things that Carl does. Yeah, I mean, those are much have much more heavily graphic layouts than in years gone by. Right. You know, and, and, and obviously like something that's, you know, like a, a print on demand or a PDF product. Well, great. You're, you're not necessarily having to pay for like the printing cost of that, but still the production cost is not small. And, nope. you know, there's the, the art is whatever people will pay for it. And I mean, there's this whole non fungible token thing going on now with art. With oh my God. And... Don't. Oh. <laughs> oh. The, right? the environmentalist in my, in me is like terrified by the NFTs. It's, it's it's terrible yeah it's terrible right and, and a lot of it's crazy and there's this weird speculation and people are like well if bitcoin and dogecoin or dogcoin or doze or whatever like you know oh my god if that goes big then these things are going to go big and they're going to be worth fortunes and you know and ultimately art is is one of those weird markets where art is what anyone will agree to mm-hmm. pay for it as you know and there are there are things that are people will pay millions of and tens of millions for um but you know it's terrible right and it's it's scary though as like a content creator thinking that like you know that's a hard thing to budget for right because it's you know the the book has to sell enough copies you have to hope it sells enough copies to be able to refund you for paying for the art because you know i I don't think artists should and probably most artists won't aren't going to work on spec like you know hey i'll I'll gladly pay you tuesday for some art today tuesday i mean in two years when this actually goes to production and gets printed and i actually get some cash for it um, and the, the problem is the artists are usually very, very underpaid as well. Like the, the right. time and effort they make, the they make into these artworks is amazing. I mean, I had the this image. I it was a bargain. Like if I consider how many hours Brando put into it and how much I paid, I paid him a lot less than I would have paid uh, someone by the hour. It's it's amazing how much artists are are giving away, even though they cost a lot. It's it's not cheap, but it, it, considering the time it takes to create one artwork of that quality, it, it's it's normal that you have to pay that much. Yeah. So the uh, you know it's, it's good on you for like that's like the cool thing about kind of swag is that the um, you know it, it runs the gambit from people who've used you know stripping mm-hmm. stock art. Um, and then all the way up to mixes of stock art and customized art. And the, um, I, I, I do agree with your choice to do a custom cover. But I mean, I, I, I've, you know, I usually go with a custom cover and stock yeah. art in the, in, in the inside. So that's, that's yeah. like a, a good, um, uh, compromise. Yeah, we did. We basically did the same thing with Buccaneer. Right, because I mean, ultimately, you you kind of want to make sure that you know there are some great cover-worthy pieces that are by the you know the, the usual suspects out there, like Dean Spencer and Rick Hershey mm-hmm. and the guys who kind of cater to the RPG self-publisher. But like when I go on like the you know, the D and D Guild and see that like oh yeah that that Dean Spencer piece I've seen that on fourteen different products. You know, yep. to me. That even if the piece is gorgeous, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know your IP, right? Like your brand, the brand of who actually mm-hmm. used it. Whereas when you do at least a, a custom cover, at least you own, you know, people's remem- memory of your book, right? Like the, yeah. if you, it's your cover. That's actually a problem because since I self-published, 
I enjoy watching those covers a lot less because I know where they come from now. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Very true. Right. So it's kind of like your face, right? Like you want to have a unique face so people remember you and not, yep. you know, so generic or so overused where, you know, is that the really great book or was it the, the other one? And, and and I get it. I mean, if you're if you're self-publishing and it's your first t- attempt and you're just you're just going to put out a, a, a little that, module or whatever, you know, people don't I don't have hundreds of dollars to pay for art. And this will never this probably won't sell hundreds of dollars worth of stuff to make it worth it. But um, for a project like this, I think it's great that you actually went through uh, and got your cover. I saw Big Apple Sewer Samurai as an investment or uh, like I pay, I, I would, writing for me is a joy. It's like a way to keep sane in, uh, in these times. And I, I wanted to have something I was proud of. So I, I'm a lucky one. I didn't have to, uh, to I have my real job. This is just like a side hustle, as I said, and um, that was like a, just a, a project for me, by me. And if I lost money, I wouldn't be on the street. But uh, I'm lucky in that uh, in that aspect because I know some people are professional writers, and that's their main job. And I'm that that was actually something that. I was um, conscious about because I wanted to sell this. I didn't know what was its value. Like you said, people have a definitive value of what they can, they are willing to pay. And I, like, I didn't have to um, to uh, to say, oh, I have to cover that cost or that cost. It was just like I want to give that to the world, but I don't want to undercut other creators as well because I want people to pay what is worth so people will know that that kind of work is worth uh, that kind of money so i i took uh, i spent a lot of times uh, looking at similar products and try to find which what was the perfect price for this so cool so i've got a, a trio of questions yep. that i wanted to ask you so i'll just uh, i'll throw them to you one at a time uh, first mm-hmm. one I to kind of uh, have you talk a little bit about one of the things that struck me when I first started reading it is character creation. You tweaked it a, just a little bit. Yep. Uh, so tell us a little bit about, so if I want to create, you know, a, a uh, squirrel. A Kung Fu but squirrel. The squirrel is one of the available oh, <laughs> package. Yeah. All right. So, so how is your, how is the character creation different than it was uh, first of all it was uh obvious for me that uh, i had to uh, plus two as a racial balance wasn't enough i had to put it uh larger because those those characters in tmnt gargles or cyber six or uh, are more powerful than your average novice character but i wanted humans to be still human so i went with the logic of well if a human starts at season, like he's more experienced, that's four advances worth, so it's plus eight, plus ten. So those characters are the equivalent of season characters. That was my benchmark, how I decided to balance them. And every race is every race is balanced with that logic in mind. But like you said, mutant animal, it's such a broad concept. I uh, I wanted to be able to 
give some creativity back at the players. So you have your basic race, which has a few abilities, but you also have a, a pool of points and custom points that you can decide where you want to invest them. So let's say you want to be a mutant bear, which is going to be in the next book I'm doing, but let's say you want to be a mutant bear. Well, you use the mutant animal basic race and you buy, yeah. There and we you go. Buy, and you buy uh, the abilities you think with those points that a mutant bear will have. So he's tougher, stronger. He has uh, claws, bite abilities, and probably is intimidating. So you create your own race with the guidelines, and you have, I think, yeah, three races that are built in uh, that way. You have your mutant animal your alien or your nocturnal, which is a uh, vampire, uh, gargoyles, and all those creatures that live in the night. Uh, so you can use either one of the available package. Like you said, you, you don't have to create your own squirrel. You can be a, a, a mutant squirrel if you want right off the book. You have all, all the abilities already calculated for you. But if you, if you want to be a were-raven, uh, were uh, not a were-raven, just a, a mutant raven, but you can create your own raven and it'll be balanced um, that way. Excellent. Does yeah. that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Yeah. No, I, I, I do like that balancing humans by, by you know, giving them four advances. And, um, you know, it's just kind of a very elegant solution to an issue, right? It's, it's right. the, you, you don't you, have to make superhumans. You really just give them the advances. And so they're, yeah, and that, and that kind of fits with most of the, the comics too, right? Like the, well, the you humans the, in those you shows. The, you want the other characters and the non-humans to be bigger than life. Yep. I mean, that's the whole, that's the whole thing with them. You know, they, they... Yeah, Raven. <laughs> and yeah, that that's it. And the, usually the humans that are part of their team are more experienced or they, they are aware of the supernatural. So they are uh, trained to, they're not novice anymore. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so my my I'm gonna put question two and three together. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I love that picture. That is one of my favorite that's, pictures. That's one of that's book. a stock art as well. So I, I love that though. I think that is that when I saw that, I'm like, oh, I could play that character. For those so, at home, there's an amazing. It's a samurai duck, which is just fantastic. Uh, he's awesome. So um, uh, for for myself, you know, someone who's trying to create and trying to to be a Savage Worlds creator and writer. I have two things that always interest me. Mm -hmm. uh, one is how, how did you come up? How do you come up with setting rules or what setting rules do you use? And then what special edges did you come up with? And how did you come up with those edges? Uh, let's start with setting rules first. Um, I had two images in my mind when I had the set when I wanted to create the setting rules. One was uh, uh, the second Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. There's a scene where the turtles are fighting against the, the uh, I, I was going to say the hand, wrong ninjas, uh, against the foot in a toy store. And they are fighting with everything except 
their weapon. They are fighting with the toys, they are fighting with the walls themselves, but they are never ever using their weapons, or maybe once or twice. And in uh, the other image I had was in uh, the X-Men animated series, you had Wolverine. Wolverine has adamantium claws, but he almost never uses them. He punches, he tricks, the, uh, he tricks others. So in, in these universes, in this cartoon world, violence is not really the option A. Uh, you, uh, they use everything but their weapon, usually. So it was important for me to uh, create setting rules that would reflect that. And Savage World already has a cool a rule, which are tests that reflected that a lot. Like you, you could, you don't have to attack to be useful. You can support your teammates. You can test so your enemies are vulnerable or distracted. So, I every every single rule, or not every, but a lot of setting rules, a lot of edges are built with that in mind. Even races are built with that in mind. You have many, many, many packages that have bonuses for tests or support and everything because that's what I wanted people to do, not necessarily attacking with their weapons, but uh, using tests and support to recreate that mayhem. So that was what was important for me. And the other thing that was important was uh, improvised weapons. You have so many times in these cartoon shows that they are using improvised weapons instead of fighting with their weapons. There's even one character one of the major Teenage Mutant Ninja characters, Casey Jones, who is basically always fighting with improvised weapons, never fighting with a real weapon. So I wanted to have a rule that was specifically tailored to make improvised weapons good for everyone. It's always useful to use improvised weapons if you can. And it's never an hindrance to pick up an improvised weapon and use it. You never have to use an action to, pr to pick up an improvised weapon because even if you're intercepted, even if you intercept someone, it was very, very important because that's what these characters do in these shows. So that's, that. that's the logic. And uh, people are using puns every time. So there's a rule for puns, uh, people. And uh, one thing I, I drew inspiration from Necessary Evil from one of the setting rules because that's the inevitable comeback because right. uh, they usually come back. But uh, as opposed to superheroes who just get resurrected and come back, when someone dies in a cartoon show, it usually has lasting impact. They're, they're, they come back, yes, but not exactly as they were. Maybe they're cyborgs. Maybe they're undead. Maybe it's a clone. Maybe it's a, a twin. <laughs> right. So that, that, that was the logic between behind the inevitable combat you you come back you have a good chance of coming back but you're not coming back as you were so you have to pick a card to decide how you come back yeah i so, loved that i thought that was really cool that was a really cool idea so that that's where i had my ideas i i basically used the images i had in my my head of what a combat and how uh, how people interact in these cartoons, and I just design rules to make the players 
to encourage the players to use the same tactics. You, they don't have to, but it just it's just a a good tactic now to uh, an even better tactic now to use tests because they have bonuses and you have plenty of ways to abuse tests if you know what you're doing. Right. Yeah, and that all comes through very much so in in the book as you're reading through the book. Um, it, it, go out and pick it up. I, I can't, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> recommend it enough. I, I I think it would be great even for just uh, one shots. Yep. You know, there, so. there's a there's a uh, four adventures that are not that complex, but you can just pick them up do a con with the uh, pre-gens and it works like i think it works good i hope yeah. it works good yeah i was actually really thinking about we do something uh, uh my game group we do something we call camp con where we actually go camping for four days and we always say that we're going to role play and then we never do we just sit around and talk but i think i might bring this up with me and just one of the one of the four uh pre-written you know um, adventures and maybe try to, cause I, you can do it in probably four hours, you know, uh, yep. I think I, maybe. I think I'm uh, going to do that and run something for these guys. And you had a second question, but I don't remember it. It was, uh, oh, the, the edges Oh, that. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's a little more, more complex <laughs> because one of the first, uh, homebrew conversions I tried to do was uh, savage L five R. And uh, something that bothered me a lot when I was doing that conversion was uh, one thing that's cool with L5R, Legend of the Five Rings, is the swordsman schools and how you grow as um, as a swordsman with a specific uh, fighting technique. And like you didn't have that in Savage World. Like you, you, everything is not... Uh, interconnected, or at the very most, you have one edge, and you have its improved ver its improved version. I right, think the yeah. most complex edge tree is ambidextrous, two-fisted, and two-gun kid. That's like the most complex you you can have. And I wanted to create something that would have the sense of progression, like your character is going better. And I'm so glad my book went out before Savage Pathfinders because they're basically doing the same thing. <laughs> and at least I can say that I wasn't influenced by them because my book came out before Savage Pathfinder. Right. You, you can no. say I was first. I was first. The, <laughs> so you have the, those style edges. Like you, you take a style. I, I have to make sure I don't, I don't spoil upcoming styles because I'll have a, a new book which are which will introduce new new styles. So you have the Yajimbo style, which is basically protecting people. So you have abilities that you protect your teammates uh, and you have um, the Shinobi style, ninja and everything, the, the lawman style, the street fighter style. So all these styles are four edges, which can be taken in any order, but only once per rank. So you have, uh, you have four edges you can Take one at novice, seasoned, veteran, heroic, and you have the the final one, the the ultimate one, which can only be taken at legendary when you have the the other four. So it's not exactly the class edges from 
Savage Pathfinder, but it's it's pretty darn close. So yeah, it's actually a very cool way to do it. And uh, so you can you can either build your character as you want, or you can aim to fit your character into one, into one of those styles. And uh, each style edge has different other requirements. So usually, when you aim for a style ahead, a style edge tree, you have to very focus on those requirements. You don't have much room to grow outside uh, those style edges, but you can still do everything else. And it's those are just edges. They're about as powerful as a normal edge, so they're not. You don't miss out so much if you don't invest in them. So that was the logic. And I'll, the other edges I included in my book was power edges. And I had the same logic behind them. So I wanted to create, instead of recreating arcane backgrounds, I wanted to use those arca- the, the arcane backgrounds in the core book and just adding edges to steer them in the direction I wanted. So you, you you have like the um, the magic magic in Big Apple Sewer Samurai is basically controlling the probabilities and uh, alternate dimensions. So you want to have a fireball, you basically just go go take a fire out in a fire dimension and throw it at people, and uh, you want to control uh, to deflect arrows so you basically just take luck in an alternate dimension and you're getting more lucky so all those edges are just ways of making the arcane background magic more like this so if you start as a baseline and you have luck control which allows you to your powers are basically explainable by luck Uh, a piano fall on your enemy that deals 3d6 damage but it's still a blast power, but that that's explainable by luck. Uh, you have a power that you can use uh, PowerPoint modifiers just by taking more time to cast because you, you first open a rift, you take the, uh, the, the alternate reality you want to bring and that just takes more time. So it's, it's like a way, instead of recreating that arcane background, you, you just make it so people, uh, People are interested in playing that arcane background the way you want them to play, but they don't have to. The one that's really interesting is in the fact that the you know when the setting rules steer people towards playing in the tropes that you mm-hmm. want them to experience, right? And yep. so that's that's you know. Uh, when we, I see arguments online. People are like, there's only one right way or one wrong way to do whatever. Well, it's like, well, no, no, no. There's lots of ways of doing it because there's lots of ways that these things play out. Like if you want more you know, humorous or you want to recapture you know, the feeling of what Gargoyles was like or what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was like, you know, if the mechanics match that, then you have this cohesive experience where the mm-hmm. game you're playing really does bring back those memories. And um, exactly, we, we've got your table of contents. I'll throw it at the table of contents up. They we, we talked a little bit before about you know layout and design, so people who are on the our video stream can see that. Um, so it looks great. Uh, is there anything else in in the the book? Like it's it's, it's over what sixty pages, um, yep. and it's only seven dollars on Drive Through RPG. 
So um, you're, you're getting pretty good bang for your buck. Um, it, it looks like what one is, you said four different Savage Tales are included. So if people pick up the PDF, you have at least four Savage Tales that you can run them through. And pregens. Uh, I love that. That's how, right? The, the, the ability to just like, let's play. Here you go. Pick a pregen. So and that's why I want to take this to, to, to CampCon because I can give them all the pregens and run one of the Savage Tales and there we go. The, um, so you, you've talked a little bit about death and inevitable turn. What's a crossover? Uh, I one of the the thing about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle is the kitchen kitchen sink approach. Like throw everything at a wall and see what sticks. And over the over the years, they added a lot of stuff, including a multiverse and and many cartoons have that approach as well. Like you. They don't have necessarily a cohesive, well thought out universe in advance. They just made things up as they as they go, and I wanted to allow uh, to sh- to like just give a glimpse of how to introduce characters from another universe into Big Apple Sewer Samurai because uh, portals to another universe are important in the setting. And let's say a player wanted to play, let's say, a a cowboy from Deadlands. And a cowboy from Deadlands uh, steps into a portal, ends up in New York in today. And uh, they want to play that character. Well, there's a in that setting rule, I say, well, there's a race for that. It's fish out of water. And you can use just use instead of using a human, you can use that race and do so and do so and do so. And if you you can even use uh, introduce uh, a glitterboard pilot into your game if you want, and just to explain why they can't have their glitterboard, just say they can use it once in their introduction, and then it breaks down. So it's still just a human with a hunk of metal, useless metal. But um, so that that was the idea. It's that setting that setting rule is more about um, uh, how to introduce characters from other universes. Uh, you can one hundred percent actually uh, you uh, play a one hit rap star who sings about your group during the final battle. That's actually supported in the rules. You can use support roles, performance roles to give bonuses to your teammates, and there's. Uh, there's ways to improve your character, uh, the other characters that way. So it might be a joke, but you can definitely play that character if you want. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and so you've got, I mean, this is, this is a pretty complete project, right? I mean, like you've got archetypes already built in. You've got four different adventures to run. You, you, you've, you've built tools that are evocative of the settings you want to, people mm-hmm. to remember from, from the 80s and 90s. And then... The cool thing is, is we were talking a little bit before. We, we already thrown up the image. I'll throw it up again, though. But you already have the next, the next, you know, addition to this, right? So tell well, us about um, companion. Yeah. One of the thing I, I'm, I'm pretty new to this, so I was trying marketing stuff, and one of the thing I, I knew I had to have a certain amount of sales to, to not lose money so i wanted to give incentives to people to buy my book and i said if i have 250 sales i'll make a companion book which is basically like an expansion book with more options and i within a month it was a done deal so that 
that forced my hand, and I decided to. Um, I I spoke a lot with my friend who is uh, my usual game master because I have a. In every group, there's always a guy that mostly GM, and that was my <laughs> my game master, and he he was very interested in helping me in that setting. So we had a a brainstorm session, and one of the thing that that I took from his uh, from this brainstorm session was the the importance of growing the setting Dutch and I I wanted to explore another city you have like uh, when that company T-Tech went bankrupt you understand what happened in New York but that's a megacorp so it had a uh, uh, presence in a lot of places in the world and I wanted to like show what happened in other cities and um, I also wanted to go a little bit darker because it's very very humorous like it's uh, cartoonish but there's a lot of cartoons and source material from the 80s and 90s that are not that child friendly I'm thinking Street Fighter uh, Mortal Kombat, uh, G.I. Joe. Even G.I. Joe is a more uh, mature themes. And you have a lot of action movies from that time. Uh, Delta Green uh, and everything that are more mature. And I wanted to show a more mature side of Big Apple Sewer Samurai. So the, the companion book would be called After Dark. And you can see, you can see uh, in the in the image uh, what appears to be deep ones, so fi like fish uh, fish monstrosities, and it will uh, it will uh, be about it will have basically the same outlook with a description of what what's happening in Houston. Uh, instead of New York, with new uh, new uh, organizations or uh, exp uh, how the existing organizations are uh, doing in Houston instead of New York, and you have uh, like uh, more emphasis on the more um, horror themes. Uh, so you have. Uh, very bad mutants, which are the uh, the fish monstrosities here, uh, like more hellish alternate dimensions and uh, and the like. So it's uh, it's it still can be played as cartoonish as you want. It offers more options, more packages. Like you can have a bear, or you, you there'll be more races, more style head style edges, more gear. Uh, and everything, but I also wanted to offer more setting rules that would tweak a bit, a little bit more into mature territory. Like these are, they're still cartoon bears in the world, but what hap what would happen if you take it a little bit more seriously? So basically, yeah, you don't want to mess with that yogi. <laughs> nope. Hey, boo boo. Yeah, bear, bear, and, with a, bear with a shotgun. And uh, that artwork is uh, is not from the same artists. So I can give you, uh, it's uh, Leon Simonetti. I don't know what I have with uh, Brazilian base artists, but. <laughs> oh, it's, it's great art, though. I mean, super evocative. I love it. The, um, let's see. Oh, we got, here we go. Yes. So uh, in the comments, we'll have the art station for uh, Leon Simonetti. Uh, let's see. Copy. Boom. 
So do you have, I, I know creators hate this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you have any idea of uh, when it might be coming out? When it's going to be ready. Excellent. I like that answer. Uh, like, like I said, um, that was one of the, uh, I had more presence and it, my timeline went a little bit faster than was what I was expecting because of, um, the lockdown and everything. Right. But now I'm going back into my real job and I know I won't have as much time as I had. So I'm, and I'm very, very bad at focusing at a single project. I have like two or three projects going on in my head at the same time. Oh, I know I'm all about that. I'm also working with um, Black Book Edition, edition to have that Big Apple Sewer Samurai translated because they're, uh, they're working right now at their own swag license because uh, you, uh, since swag is only for English-based books, I cannot just translate it because I speak French. That's I, that's my native language. So it's translating. I can translate it myself, but I can't publish it right now because I need uh, Black Book Edition's um, uh, approval before I can. So I'm working with them to get that approval. So I have like too many projects at the same time. So I can't make any promises as, as to when it is going to be ready. Something yeah. to look forward to. Promises are dangerous in this business. So yeah, that just gives people something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. it, it's going to be ready when it's going to be ready. Yeah. And then you've given us a, a preview of another project you're working on. Um, yeah. Wild Hunt. Tell us about what this is. Uh, basically, um, I, I just love uh, experimental RPGs. I have a, a large digital and print collection of zines, which are basically like minimalist RPGs with a few uh, few rules and just uh, awesome ideas. And I wanted to try something a little bit more experimental myself, but I'm more of a writer than um, a game designer. Designing a whole game, it wasn't really for me, at least not right now. So I had an idea a while back about writing a podcast, a fantasy podcast. It's like, imagine a guy who's talking about how to hunt animals and uh, fantasy animals, how to hunt uh, giants, dragons, and everything. So it's more like a theme, a theme monster manual. You have... Uh, 10 pages long, uh, Charlie Hawk is explaining to you how to beat the different kinds of giants there is in the world. So you have all the stats for giants, uh, new magical items, new potions you can use, new gear, and like just tricks to enhance your game as a game master. So tactics your giant can use against your players, which will make it a little bit different or tactics as a player you can use that can giants to make it more enjoyable for everyone so it's it's again a tool book a monster manual a bestiary and um but it's also tips and tricks for the players and gms to better role play fighting against these characters and fighting as these characters 
So it would be almost like reading a transcript of yep. a podcast. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. It's very and nice. Actually, one of the first magical items I included was the pod crystals, which is basically crystals you can uh, re magically record stuff into and people can put them in their ears and listen to what you said. So <laughs> even in-universe that these podcasts exist. Nice. That's fantastic. So the, is that still in development? Is that ready? Is it uh, well, I'm in design and layout and editing. So that's going to take a while because I usually, usually change focus each week. So maybe that'll be done in, in month, maybe it'll be done next year. Maybe it, it will never get done, but <laughs> the, uh, no, that's fantastic. The, um, so let's see, to, to wrap us up, man, we, we appreciate you coming on the show. Let's give everybody the link one more time. Yeah, for thank Dr. you so RPG. much. The, um, it is uh, Big Apple Sewer Samurai, over 60 pages of content, seven bucks. There are 30 new edges, six new character races, 25 unique variations, uh, and guidelines to create your own. Uh, stat blocks for over a dozen adversaries, four one-page Savage Adventures, eight iconic pre-generated characters, uh, so whether you want to do kung fu tortoises, motorcycle riding rodents, crime fighting, half sharks, that's my favorite, uh, or cybernetic felines with an affinity for pizza, Big Apple Sewer Samurai can handle them all. The, uh, thanks for joining us, Al. We appreciate you. The, um, anywhere Thank people you can for find having you, me. Uh, besides drive through RPG, anything else you want to plug? Me? Yeah. Twitter, YouTube, is that, do you have a website? You can, your, you, uh, you can uh, like my Facebook page, The Raven and the Albatross, and uh, you'll have the uh, the most uh, recent news about what I'm working on, And but I no promises as to when they'll be ready. <laughs> That's the way to go. Well, congratulations on having a best seller Electrum uh, swag product on... I'm, I, I'm actually very very close to gold right now oh nice all right that, people get out there and get them to gold right we will throw the, the link into the chat one more time just to make sure that the uh, we get you guys to gold the um so yeah guys pick up big apple super samurai it is a very complete very cool compelling project alb's obviously an amazing dude and uh, we look forward to what you uh do next uh in the, the savage worlds community out man we appreciate you thank you yeah, Wild Cards, thanks for listening, and uh, see you in uh, two weeks. Yeah, two more weeks, guys. Take it easy.